Hi, this is Megan Ball. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Karen Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try to find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. How are you, Brock? Productive. I don't know. Like, are you productive? I haven't been productive for the past, like, two years, so I feel like that's a very loaded <laughs> question, and I, I want to make sure that my boss is not listening to this. <laughs> Okay, well, your boss shouldn't be listening to this for so many reasons. Oh, that's also <laughs> <But> true. <laughs> I do wonder why it has been that, like, each time we do that intro, I'm like, why is it we say productive? It used to you be true. You need to ask Jordan. He wrote it. <laughs> but also, I want to stick to his vision. And, I know. Like, he's not wrong. These are often productive at the end of it. But at the start, you're just like, I just came from the day I just had. And yeah. nothing there went right. No, it's very not, true. Not that things going wrong can't still be productive. Actually, that's the most optimism I can summon. Megan, do you have a story for us this week? It's it's kind of a grim one, I'm going to tell you right now, but I find it to be very interesting. Um, so I want to talk to you about the death chairs of a nunnery in Italy. Um, I, I got to tell you, we're coming off mermaid death chair. I know. No, Did that, that you wasn't a, just no, stumble this, into a Wikipedia of death chairs and be no. like, this is the rest of my caring year. I no. have all the content I need. A series of assorted haunted chairs. <laughs> no, the mermaid chair was nice and lovely. It was a romance. It was like a fairy tale. I was in Cornwall, which is beautiful. This is all about death. This is nothing but straight up death and plague. So, you know. Oh, I'm sorry that this death chair is in Italy instead of Cornwall. A Cornwellian death chair is, as we all know, nice. Okay, so this is a story about a nunnery in Italy. It is on a small island off the coast of Naples. And it's really beautiful, and it's just really historical. It was a fortress, it was a prison. It, you are not selling that this is a nice spot. Like, it's so pretty. It was a fortress, so... it was a Death Star, it was a prison, <laughs> it was a torture chamber. They just hung people for no reason when it was a vineyard. Like, I don't know, it was, it was pretty then, there were grapes, but they still did a lot of murders. Yeah, well, Naples is a very nice part of Italy, so I'm... I'm... <laughs> So this island at least probably had very nice weather <laughs> and really pretty, like, views from the prison. I am so goddamn depressed that actually that does sound <laughs> wonderful. Like, yeah, if, if the heat index wasn't over 110 and through the slot in the wall, I could see the waves. You know what? Maybe it's better than where I am. Yeah, you're really doing the dark positivity this week in a way that hurts to align with. I'm digging deep. No, but... 16th century became a convent, and it became a convent for a group called the Poor Clares, which um, St. Clare was a contemporary of St. Francis. They came from the same area. Um, they both knew each other. They grew up together. And so the Poor Clares are a convent where, you know, the whole thing is that they take in no money. They are, you know, vow of poverty, all that kind of stuff. They do charitable works. Claire's is the name of the new clique at the end of Mean Girls, of the younger girls. Like, the poor Claire's is a really, really good high school group name. <laughs> it is, yeah. If the Heathers can be one, the poor Claire's should be one. It's like, ah, oh, the poor Claire's. Yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense. Um, but they had this, this nice little convent, and they would do their normal duties there of charitable works, and worship, and gardening, and all this kind of stuff. And they also 
created a new way to preserve the dead nuns, which is interesting and weird and very creepy. So there is a room down in the very bottom of then the convent now, whatever building is on the island. And it was an internal room. It was dark. It was all made of stone. And in that room, they carved chairs into the walls. And it's just creepy to look at. They carved chairs, like full chairs, like like armrests, everything, like full chairs into the stone walls. And when a nun would die, they would be placed in a chair naked. And there was a hole at the bottom of the chair, and there was a sacred vessel placed beneath them to collect any of the decomposing remnants. And the nun would sit there until they have reached complete skeletal status after they had completely rotted away after months and months and months. And living nuns every day would have to go into that room and spend hours sitting in front of them, kneeling and praying for their immortal souls. And so because this room was cold and made of stone and had no exterior windows, a lot of disease and sickness was spread. So those chairs were filled for most of the time year round. So they weren't mother superior. They were mummy superior. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. Boo. (laughs) No, actually, you came up with that pretty quickly. I'm proud of you. (laughs) So um, they would. They would wait for the nun to completely decompose, and then they would move their bones into another room, which was kind of a ossuary type of thing. It wasn't like the Sedlak ossuary in Poland. It was just a place where they would lay the bones out and everything. They didn't do anything artistic with it. It just was, this is the room we put keep the bones in. So they just wait until there was none left. You know what? <laughs> none, none left. No, I, I know. I know. You're so disappointed in this round, and you're so right. No, you're you're doing great. Um, I'm not. I'm just having fun. You're a comedian, so I mean, honestly, you're you're taking your your shots, and I'm not going to tell you not this to. This is proof that I am not. I am just a guy <laughs> enjoying your tale of woe. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> they did this for about 200 years until in. 1809, the convent was shelled during a war, and the damaged buildings were too damaged to fix. And so the poor Clares left the castle, and they left behind the ossuary and the chairs. And you can go visit them today if you would like to. If you decide to visit Naples and be like, hey, this beautiful area of the country is so pretty, I would like to go visit some creepy stone chairs that some dead nuns sat in while they rotted. You can do that. They do tours. <laughs> and I don't know why this struck me as such an interesting story. Because, A, the picture when I was like, you know, you're scrolling. It's like 2 a.m. You don't know what's going on anymore. And you just stop <laughs> in an image. And, and, like, the image is so weird. You're just like, what? What the hell is that? And then you have to go research it. And then around 4 a.m. you go oh, wow, I've wasted my life looking at this, and now I have this knowledge, and I must bring this knowledge to others so I no longer have to be responsible for it. I I, I do like that the Catholics went above and beyond where normally they'd just be like, we're going to put it in a catacomb. It'll eventually skeleton. We'll put jewels in it. Move on. And instead they're like, no, 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 no. They deserve to rot away 
in nice chairs and people can yeah. later come sit in those same chairs and i genuinely find it like a nice touch like no no, no they they deserve a little better for their support italian catholics are something else did i ever tell you when my father was growing up and my father is first generation his parents came from italy and i had an aunt who was unmarried through her entire life and would go back to italy um to palermo because that part of the family was sicilian and she would go every year on a certain saint's day and there are catacombs and you would go down there and the whole point of you going down to the catacombs is you would find where your family was and you would update their hair change their clothes make sure that they were you know looking the best they could for when jesus came back and that's what you did you spent an entire day down in the catacombs fixing up these skeletal remains of your ancestors and she died back in the 80s before i was born so there's probably some skeletons in a catacomb in palermo wearing like members only jackets or something (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, that took you by surprise look i got i got just a war crime of a brett easton ellis gift sent to me today by a friend so like yeah it's a good day for members only jacket jokes oh jeez. By all intents and purposes, my my father tells me she was a very lovely woman, very normal, but she did this every single year. You know how when family tells you, like, that person was so normal and keeps reiterating that, that you (laughs) have to know, like, well, they were certainly normal. I have no further questions on the subject. But I love how my father will tell that story. He thinks it's a fascinating story. And then I'll look at him and be like, and you wonder how I turned out the way I did? Your family members... This is something someone was doing in the 1700s. She was going there in like 1983, (laughs) going back to Italy once per year to change the clothing of our dead relatives in the catacombs under Palermo. I was like, and you're like, why did Megan turn into a goth? I don't know, Dad. (laughs) Let's look at the evidence. I mean, now it, it does feel like there was a calling here that you're actually supposed to pick up the mantle and start go doing the work there. And you're like, I know, I know, eventually. Oh, I would love to go. I, I would I would a thousand percent love to go. I don't think I would change their clothing because there are limits, but I also would be afraid of breaking the skeletons because I'm sure by now they must be pretty, like, brittle. But I would just like to go and see it. Here's the thing. Like, everything that you do in, in goth style, I feel like is an extra layer atop anything else and is black. So, like... You can just put a trench coat on on anyone without really having to move or remove anything else. Like it's just a black extra layer. I th- I feel like the skeletons would be fine with your update. No, because you can't. <laughs> this is just going to go into how I have way too much weird knowledge on dead bodies. You have to have slits in the back of the clothing. They have to be put on in like almost like two sections and then like stitched up in the back. You can't put like clothing on a regular way for like a corpse. So when you're, like, embalming someone and getting them ready to be, like, in a casket for, like, say, a week, you put the clothing on different. It's not the same kind of, you know, you bring in the clothing you're going to put the person in, and then they have to cut into the clothing or, like, you know, take the stitching out of certain places to get it to go on. Because a dead body is not going to cooperate with you. It's like putting clothing on a mannequin. So if you wanted to put a trench coat on a skeleton, you would need help. You would need, like, at least a friend of yours who is just like a really solid good friend <laughs> to help you. Gee, where could Megan find somebody like that with time and dedication to being goddamn weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder where. <laughs> hmm. I'll let you know if I'm ever going to Palermo. <laughs> 
uh, Palermo was the name of the Italian place up the street from me in Los Feliz uh, in Los Angeles that I just like lived at most days. So yes, I will join you there. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Well, I have a carried into the void moment if you'd like to hear it. I mean, I guess. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're like, whatever. Sure. Why not? Um, today's carried into the void is death comes for us all. And that does not mean you have to sit around and wait for it. What will preemptively mourning get you except heartbreak for something that you cannot control? You cannot invite it to get close to you, to bite at your heels and let it consume your thoughts. Death is not something to see over your shoulder, like a splash of cold water thrown into your face to ruin any hard-won happiness you find. Think of it as more of a bossy, overdramatic acquaintance. Someone you talk shit about when they aren't there, someone you avoid at parties. Not someone you invite into your home because you know they'll get judgmental over the cleanliness of your kitchen or the color of your wallpaper. When the specter of death tries to ruin your day, slam the door on them. Let them go to voicemail, leave them on read. Do not court death before you are ready. And do not be sitting idly when it finally arrives. Let death find you out of breath from a life well lived, not down upon your knees in supplication. Make death work for it, because you are worth your life. Tell me more about this bossy acquaintance that you're <laughs> referencing. I, I don't know. It's a metaphor, Brock. <laughs> Leave death on read is a Jordan shirt I, waiting to happen. That's a, that's a show title right there. There we go. I am changing up my story based on your story. <laughs> I'm going to talk about my grandfather. Cool. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side loved treasure maps. Oh, rad. The, the gold bug uh, was one of the first things he ever read to me. And uh, just from there, as a kid, was just always very much into pirate stuff and into treasure maps. And so a thing we started when I was like three or four uh, was that when it was birthdays or Christmas, uh, I never got my presents. They were hidden around his house. Uh, and I got a treasure map. And with each preceding year, the maps became more and more abstract. It went from very, very detailed uh, to sort of shapes and ideas and then to sort of puzzles and riddles and it meant a lot because like we didn't have money the gifts were never impressive gifts uh in terms of like wow that's the thing that that i i definitely dreamed of and wanted based on the ads on tv but uh the process of like hunting and the adventure behind them is the thing that remains with me a lot more than the gifts themselves, especially because he would go with me and we would, we would go on this journey. Anyway, he um he kind of got near the end of his life, uh, and uh, him and my grandmother moved into a much smaller place. Uh, he still tried to do some of that, uh, and some of the treasure maps, there was nothing where the treasure map indicated. There, there were starting to be mental slips, and there were things that weren't there. Uh, but I never thought in the moment, like, uh, oh, he was wrong. I was always like, I didn't solve it yet. Like, there's there's another level to this. Uh, and and recently, I found a few of those, and I I, I looked at them, and I I wonder um, if they were not maps to things that he left hidden in the previous home he had, a home I no longer have access to, not the one that he was living out his final days in. Because the layout sort of looks the same. And I was like, should I try to go home and see if people there will let me in? On the off chance, there is still some stuff uh, hidden at the back of a bookcase or uh, behind a spot in the wall. 
I can't travel right now. Um, the the idea is there, and uh, the idea that I could go back and do it uh, remains, and I, I think about it a lot. So um, my carrying into the void today is, um, what's buried there? Well, is it different than what's buried everywhere else? We don't collect. We just take what we have, and we squirrel it away for later. But not for the sake of hoarding, no. For the sake of adventure, sure. A little bit for the sake of standard and organization. Anyone who has ever arranged their inventory in a video game for longer than they've played the rest of the video game knows the joy of Marie condoing your way through adventure. No, sometimes we hide these things most precious to us because they only belong to those most precious to us. They aren't to be seen by passerbys. They aren't to be commented upon by anyone outside the circle. They're there. We know they're there, alive and well. So dig for what you think belongs to you, you're probably right. You probably know exactly where it is, even if you don't know. And if you're wrong, well, keep digging it. Oh, I liked that one. Oh, shucks. Finally, gotcha with one. <laughs> Your grandfather sounded like he was really cool. You and him would have gotten along well. He loved Edgar Allan Poe and dressing in black, so. <laughs> Rad. Very cool. There's just something about treasure maps and stuff. Like, he totally had the right idea. Yeah, I don't think anyone really passed that one along to the next generation. What is your self-care into the void this week? Uh, my self-care is to... I've been trying to remind myself that I'm wanted in places. I saw something on Twitter a few weeks ago where someone's saying, if someone invites you someplace, it's because you're wanted there. And I've always had a feeling where... If someone invites me someplace or someone wants me to, to come along someplace with them, it's out of pity or they don't really like me or there's some sort of angle or something. And that's, you know, trauma I have from childhood or high school or any of that kind of garbage. And I'm, I'm just trying to keep in mind to myself that if someone wants to go someplace with me or join me on a thing or invite me someplace, it's because I'm wanted and because they want me to be there. I have very weird anxiety about friendship. I was not very popular in high school or in middle school. And one thing people would do is they would pretend to be my friend for a week or two and then tell me they hated me and that it was a big joke and everyone would make fun of me for it because I would believe them. And so I have a hard time trusting that people like me. You know, the past few weeks ago, uh, it was my birthday. And my very good friend, Sally, was like, hey, you know, we're both vaccinated. You want to come? over and we'll hang out and you know maybe we'll go to the beach or something and I had a really bad anxiety moment about that because I'm like oh you know they're just doing it to be nice and they feel bad for me it's you know and and I'm trying to to be more assertive and be like no they are my friend they want to be my friend and they're they want me to go places with them because they value me and what I bring to a friendship so that's my been my self-care is just to kind of change the way I think about interactions with people and to go into to situations with like an, an open heart and like an honest type of of mind instead of being anxiety and and a disaster mess about it so it's not a cool self-care thing it's not an easy self-care thing it's really hard to change that mentality but i'm making a concerted effort to be better about it i gotta tell you it's it's a great recommendation it's a great reminder but also you have to know that the absolute stupidest trick dunk on Megan Ball would be to <laughs> ask her to the beach as a prank. 
<laughs> There's no way you're going there unless somebody has asked you to dedicate 1,000% because you're going there head to toe in black. Like, it's not... <laughs> It's not good for a goof. Like, it, it requires so much. Like, that is that is full-on friendship with no questions about it. And you know what? We had an excellent time. I'm sure you did. How could you not? And I did not get sunburned. I covered myself in so much sunscreen. I did not think you were going to get sunburned. That was never in play here. And yes, I did wear all black. You are correct. I had my, my dumb goth black hat on and, and a black kimono and a black sundress and black sandals <laughs> black nail polish even the sandals i love that it's good oh i've got i've got these great little sandals and they've got pyramid they've got silver pyramid studs on them because aesthetics <laughs> oh yeah no no questions on this end yeah what about your self-care uh, mine is that I uh, I just really tore up my feet over the last week or so just doing normal stuff. And um, it has led to me trying to do a couple of days of just like foot up on the table, on a pillow, not walking anywhere. And like it feels very weird to, after a year and a half of quarantine, be like, here's my tip for the week. Don't go anywhere. But there is something very different. Between not going anywhere and not walking for a day, uh, sometimes just kicking that up. Like, it was amazing how much the rest of me was like, okay, so we, we're going to the bathroom and occasionally grabbing, like, a craft single from the fridge. And otherwise, the feet are up on a pillow. It's like, oh, my feet feel better. And Wait, go back a minute. You're eating craft singles by themselves? Brock, you're supposed to put those on things. You can't eat them by themselves. Uh, you take that up with my three cats and my dog. Okay, that okay. You're giving it to animals. That's different. <laughs> I mean, they get part of it, and sometimes I forget no. that I'm trying to eat it too, and I give away too much of it. But yes, everyone in this house eats them by themselves. Well, what's your lifting into the void this week? My boost this week is um, my good friend Premi Mohammed has a few books out, and I wanted to highlight them because everyone needs to read them. It's called, And What Can We Offer You Tonight? from Neon Hemlock Press. And it is one of the most beautiful books I have read in years. And it's about a woman who wakes up dead in the um, brothel she works at. And they have to try and figure out why she's waking up even though she's dead after being murdered. It's a fantastic, beautiful story. It's a lot about revenge and about, you know your autonomy and about freedom and about you know faith and stuff it's just an absolutely stunning work and i think everyone should go out and grab it you can get it as a book or you can get it as an ebook again it's called and what can we offer you tonight from my friend premi mohammed and it is definitely going to go on the list of the top 10 books i've read this year i like how you delivered that like the author's name is my friend premi mohammed every time you brought it up i'm just so proud of my friends and i always want to boost what they've done because i just i feel like a, a proud parent where it's like look what my friend did oh my god they're so cool look at this thing like like i i want to like put things on my fridge almost you know like i'm just so excited i mean first of all the fact that anyone's doing anything right now creative should be rewarded but to have it be so well done and successful and just amazing is extra good so yeah anytime my friends do something they make a game they make a comic they you know make a cool piece of art or something i just want to like shove it in people's faces and be like look look at this cool thing i know the person who made this and they're wonderful 
Do you have something to boost today, Brock? Yeah, I would love to lift up a, a book that um, an interview with the author came into my publication. Uh, uh, it was delightful, and from the moment I saw the title of the book, uh, this washed over me in waves of horror. And like, also, as soon as we saw the headline of the piece, everyone in my office bought a copy. We didn't have to read the Q&A. Uh, and the book is by Jessica Hopper, who is a female music critic, and the title of the book is The First Collection of Criticism by a Living Female Rock Critic. Oh, I love it. And it's true, and it was one of those things that I was, as we were reading, we were like, oh, uh, okay, that's, that's actually right. <laughs> like, everything that I've ever read uh, as a collection of criticism from a, a femme person has been posthumously, and I've read so much shit from so many dumb white men. And I was just like, oh, like, I, I, I haven't even started the Q&A, which our Q&A at pitchkc.com. Excellent. Uh, Nick Spacek did a wonderful job, and, and she's fascinating. But it was just like, out of out of just sheer, like, I, I have to, it gets 15 bucks for me right now. It doesn't matter. I have to read it. I owe it to me and a lot of people and a lot of the past. Uh, but I was just like, what a, um, it must have been weird to be like, what do you want to title the book? Like, well, I think we should title it after uh, the situation. <laughs> no, I love that. I'm immediately, when, when we're done recording, I'm immediately looking this up because it sounds incredible. <laughs> I bought two copies. I'll send you one. Like, <laughs> that is the level... <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, I, I think this is going to come in handy, and, and it's great. It's excellent, but it's also just one of those, like, wow, sometimes you, you think about things, and you don't think about the blind spots we have, and sometimes those blind spots are so big, and we're just starting to correct them now, and you're like, wow, we all have work to do, don't we? <laughs> Which I think is a That's is true. a common theme on this show, is like, you work on yourself, but also like, God, I wish everyone else was working on themselves in the same way, so... It's true. We work on ourselves, but we also have to work on society. Wow. Well, I, I think that sounds incredible. I definitely am going to check it out. Because I love, I love music criticism. Um, and I love, doc I love books about periods of time in music and, and, and just stuff like that. And I think right. that is a piece of music history and criticism that's missing. I think that's incredible. And thank you for bringing it to both my attention and the attention of our listeners. I mean, how much Lester Bangs and Chuck Klosterman have I shoved down my own brain throat over the last two decades? Jesus. Like, it's, I'm overdue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're still putting out books, too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, think Chuck, I think Chuck Klosterman had one out, like, last year or something. Uh, it's more recent than that, and yes, it is also on the pile. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not immune, but, you know. No, you know, you, no, it, you know. We do our best. I will become the Joker. No, don't become the Joker. Megan, would you like to take us out? I would. Um, thank you for listening. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true, and your teeth sharp and many. And we will see you next time in the void. Teeth sharp and many. Bye. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye.